Welcome back to the seventh episode of Ballin' Ain't a Hobby. Got my guy Joe, Joseph, Gene, LaRusso, Brandon, Marvel character, the group. And we're ready to kick it off. Another episode, another week where a lot of crazy stuff has happened. And we're coming off arguably the game of the year. Nets versus Clippers. One of the biggest things, because we've been talking about the Nets a good amount, and we'll get to the Nets, don't worry, huge win for them. But one of the biggest things is Clippers had all the momentum coming into it. Nets, not so much. And my biggest question coming from yesterday on the Clippers end is, did that game kill all the momentum that they had coming into it? I know ESPN... Last week had them number one in the power rankings just because of what they were able to do and Kawhi, Paul George being back. And that Nets loss is a stinger. So, Joe, what do you think? Is that momentum killed or is it another feeler game like we talked about when the, the Nets faced the Bucks? I'm trending more on the side of this one was a feeler because while they lost, they played really well on the road. And I just think when you get performances like that from Kawhi, you you expect to win. But if you lose, then you know you can battle with that team and you have a better chance of beating them when you play them the next time. So I think while they would have loved to get the win, it's not it's not anything that they need to be worried about going forward. What do you say, Brandon? Yeah, uh, I mean, they played it pretty well. I think they had a pretty good game. They were in it the whole time for the most part. Kawhi had a solid game. Paul George had a solid game. I think that, like, they just, it's pretty obvious that they need a third guy to be consistent. Batum had 21 points that game, but, I mean, I don't know if we could really rely on him going forward to be the third guy. Lou Will is clearly just not the same guy as he was as he's getting older and getting just doesn't really do much on the defensive end. So, I mean, they're really looking to Marcus Morris to, like, give them heavy minutes. And, like, I mean, he could be solid, but... I just don't know how much you could really like Paul George really is, has been great this year. And if he could keep it up, then they could be good. It's just, it's, it's just hard to trust him after what they've gone through last year and in, in the bubble. So we'll have to see. It was a good game though. I think that, I don't think that's a kills all their momentum. It's not like they've got blown out or anything. I think they still have a good team going forward. They just need to make a, they might need to make a move to get a third guy. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's their biggest question right now going into being they're, – they're clearly at the top of championship contenders in terms of they're some one of the top teams that can challenge the Lakers. But who's that third guy? I mean, Batum had a really good game last last game against the Nets. But do you really want Batum to be your, your, your third best guy? You know, realistically, you want Serge Ibaka to step up, work more on that pick and pop, and start draining some threes – but and Batum to be more of a defensive presence getting in the pass lanes, but for Batum to score twenty one points, is that what you want? I mean, you guys are talking about a trade, but who, who can they even trade for? To, I mean, yeah, who can they even trade for? Is Lonzo, you know, someone that would make the team better? Could he be the third one? I, I, I don't think so. I don't think he would be the answer. Or would you go all in and get in on Beal? Yeah, I would say they're definitely strapped for assets, so they don't have like an immediate trade on the table. 
I would almost say that Lonzo is the better option of those. Not necessarily in terms of like, would I rather have Beal or Lonzo? I'm just saying for the value, if you can get Lonzo for a little bit less, they need a third guy to really defend point guards because while Paul George and Kawhi can shut down most wings, someone like Kyrie is pretty crafty and he's he can get around just about anybody and he has the quickness to get around forward. So maybe Lonzo could fill that void. I mean, obviously they have Pat Bev, but for whatever reason in the playoffs, I don't think that Pat Bev has been as effective as he is in the regular season. So I think Lonzo is a good trade target for them, someone that can defend point guards and maybe knock down threes when it matters. See, I don't know if I agree with you on that one. I mean, one. they needed an offensive I, I mean, they need an offensive point guard on the same at the same time too. Like they really don't have a point guard at this point. So like, I mean, I think Lonzo, while he's not his shooting is just all over the place. He gives you, you know, both sides of the ball. Like he could help this team. I think like, I and it just depends on what you have to pay for it. But at this point, like as we said, his you know, his stock is going down. Yeah, but the thing is. You want someone that's taking clutch shots yesterday? Because I mean, Reggie Jackson's not even a bad offensive player for the point guard position, especially because he's, he's been playing pretty well. But he's not running your offense, so. Yeah, but it is about hitting those clutch shots. There was a three-pointer late in the fourth quarter that if Reggie Jackson would have hit that in the corner, it would have been a completely different game. That would I think that was to get it within f- less than five. And... That's what they need is someone that could step up. I mean, obviously, they might have they signed Luke Kennard to a, a significant contract for what he he's worth, in my opinion. And if he was if he was there instead of Reggie Jackson, that's who they you know they would want in that position is someone like Luke Kennard because he's a little more consistent in terms of draining threes. And because Marcus Morris has come down as that third option, where if you need a clutch basket. Marcus Morris is the one that you want to hit it if they're clearly focusing on Paul George and Kawhi. And that happened last playoffs with, uh, you know, Marcus Morris hitting some of the key shots in that Dallas series. So they have to upgrade and get someone that has more confidence in their shot. That's where I think is the biggest upgrade because you don't want Batum. You don't want Reggie Jackson. Ibaka, are you really confident having him in there taking those shots? Like it really comes down to Lou Williams and they got to, really put Luke Kennard in those positions and see if they have something with him or if they really don't and then move past him. I think that's the biggest thing right now. I just don't know if you can even trade his contract at this point the way he's played this year. So, okay. So, I mean, we'll have to see. To, to defend my guy Luke real quick, he's, he's shooting 43% from deep and 51% from two-point range. So he's he's not that bad in terms of offensively. I I won't defend him on defense. His defense is pretty laughable. That's why that's why Ty Lue is not giving him the minutes in crunch time because he cannot guard even the fifth best offensive player on the other team. So if he can figure out how to play defense, I would say he would slot in perfectly next to these two guys. He's clearly making his shots. He's doing it efficiently. I don't think that's the problem. I really think once he figures out the defense, maybe they become – the team that they should be, but I'll admit it's not it's not there right now. He played four minutes yesterday. Did he get hurt? No, no. That's what I'm saying. It's like four minutes to play four minutes. Like, what's what's the point of that? In a pretty important game. Yeah. Like, why are you why do you even have him on the squad at that point? It just it doesn't really make sense to me. It comes down to Ty Lue not trusting him on defense, so that needs to change. Otherwise, you're right. This team has a ceiling. But why not even do a you know? Offense, defense, switch. Use your timeouts for that. Why not even do that? To get four minutes, then what's the point of having them? You might as well put them in those positions. I think we can all 
agree, Luke Kennard is, is a better shooter than Reggie Jackson, at least in terms of consistency. And he's young. He's only 24. So, like, why would you not give him those minutes? He's – it just – it doesn't make he's, sense he's, to me. I mean, they traded for him and they signed him to that contract to shoot those shots. So, I, I almost think that's, like, an oversight on Ty Lue's part. It might not have been his best coaching now. Or there's something going on between that team and him because he's averaging 22 minutes a game. So, I don't know what happened. And it's not like Reggie Jackson's, like – a good defender really no. so like i don't know why you i mean so i mean jackson is shooting 39 percent from three so i mean maybe that's, that's it, good but, like and maybe you know ty thinks that like he just gives him a little bit more on the defensive end but also the actual point guard but i think we could admit that reggie jackson's threes are going to be more open than luke canard's threes like guys are going to go under screens on reggie jackson so that 39 percent might yeah. be a little inflated yeah yeah it, they probably will go under the screens. But either way, I mean, Luke Kennard can use the screen to fake like he's going up and then step back or, you know, create some space. He's a, he's a viable enough offensive player to do that. So, but at the end of the day, if you're not putting him in that position, you're not even giving him the opportunity. It's right. it, it's a big question mark because they have to find an identity with that third person. You know Kawhi, you know Paul George. I mean, Paul George might have fell off a little bit last year, but this year it looks like he's completely back. He's looking like the Paul George that they traded Shea Gilgis and all those assets for. And now the question mark becomes, is that enough? Is Paul George, prime Paul George, prime Kawhi, which is always Kawhi since he's been with the Spurs, is that enough to get them to the team, to the to the championship you know, people said yes last year, but this year, seeing what the Lakers have done, seeing all the upgrades that they've done with Montrez, Montrez looking great, Schroeder looking great, two great additions, essentially becoming a, a tag team big three for that for the Lakers. I just don't see that being enough for the Clippers, and that's the biggest question mark right now because even yesterday with Batum looking like the best possible scenario and looking really good, I mean, I think all of us were pretty impressed by Batum. It, it's like bittersweet because they look good, and then you remember that they look that they look good with Batum looking good, which is not good. <laughs> which is not good. <laughs> yeah, you don't know. Yeah, you don't know if that's sustainable. Yeah, you're like, oh, you're like, this is a good team. Like, oh, Batum's playing pretty good. He's getting some steals. He's draining some threes. He's you know he's pushing the pace a little bit, and then you realize you're like, wait, Batum. I didn't know I was like in 2012, you know, when he's on the Blazers. And then there was a small moment in the game where he's at the free throw line for a crucial moment where like he needs to make the free throw. He misses the free throw. And then on the second attempt, he's like, all right, I'm going to miss this on purpose. Like we need this to win the game. He makes the fucking free throw. Like those two things are just like a little bit of where we're at with Nick Batum's career. He's a great player. He's perfect in the right role. But if you're asking him to do more than like 15 points you're asking too much right? yeah that's what happened yeah and that was kind of like the universe you know doing a little general general reminder to every nba fan watching like hey is that as good as he's looking right now <laughs> yeah man this is his best night yeah he was second in minutes behind Kawhi. like i just, yeah, I just don't know if you could trust platoon with 38 minutes a game like no. i mean he was good yesterday besides and you know the end obviously but that speaks just, to the canard yeah, minutes then I feel like Ty Lue must have went with Batum more than he went with Kennard, and that's why Kennard didn't get any playing time. Yeah, which I can understand it on a defensive end because Batum is a pretty good defender, and he's he's yeah, long. No, he's better than Kennard. Yeah, but yeah, four minutes. I mean, it's not like they're 
they don't even have Patrick Beverly. When Patrick Beverly comes back, where are the minutes going to go with, for Luke Kennard? He's not going to get more minutes. It's not like there's more opportunity there. So that's the biggest thing where I'm like scratching my head and justifiably yeah and yeah i think i mean most of us while watching the game we're like is luke Kennard injured like where's luke Kennard? like what's going on and it's not like we're hyping him up yeah. to be like a superstar or anything like that but he's definitely an asset that they I mean, when you pay him when you yeah, pay you him, pay him. million dollars yeah. that yet you're paying him to play be a piece like of this team and like he just yeah you're not even using him yeah just a waste of a roster spot at that point yeah. yeah, it was it was a questionable decision from Tyloo. I'm assuming it's just a one game adjustment. I'm, I'm sure he's back in the rotation when we see them next. Yeah, maybe they were trying to go hard on defense to see if that was enough to stop the Nets, but clearly it yeah. wasn't. Experiment. Clearly it wasn't. No, it was not. Harden's still getting that trip dub. Kyrie's still dropping 39. KD's still shooting like 80 percent from the field. So this is a big game for the Nets, man. This is the. This is the ceiling that everyone's been hyping up in terms of offensive. And they and they were there defensively. I mean, Jeff Green looked like he, he was able to at least put a body, put himself in position to defend Kawhi. And Harden was matched up with Paul George, for, I think, for, for most of the fourth quarter. And Paul George wasn't going too crazy. Realistically, they probably should have exploited that mismatch a little bit more. But... Do you guys think that this is the ceiling that everyone's been talking about, or are they going to get even better in terms of the Nets with with more cohesion? So they're definitely they've shown what they can do on the offensive side. You know, when all three guys are clicking, they're just basically unstoppable. But the thing is, like, you're really asking for these three guys to click every single game, and like, you know, they barely beat the Clippers yesterday. You know, with James Harden getting a triple double with. KD going 11 for 13 from the field with Kyrie going 30 plus points a game like like these guys if this is what they're going to play like they could definitely beat anybody in the league but we've seen what they did against the Wizards when they just fell apart and just let up over 140 points which they've done multiple times you know since they got in the James Harden trade they've been the worst defense since they've gotten James Harden they let the most points have the most points allowed in that time and it just shows that they have a ton of offense, but it, who, we're, it's going to be tough to see if they could actually get a stop when it counts in the playoffs. I think they have a, ch- a good chance of making it to the finals, but if they do play against the Lakers or if they do play against this Clippers team, like it's going to be hard to go a, a whole seven-game series to play good defense unless all three of their guys are just on it every game. Yeah, to criticize like just some aspects of it, Kyrie specifically, he had a great game. He scored 38 points, which was the most on any, either team. And while he got some crazy highlights, made some crazy layups, made the big shots on the stretch, I still felt like he played a little bit of hero ball at times. And it's just, it doesn't make sense when you got Kevin Durant and James Harden on your team. And also, he did probably get targeted the most between the three of them. Obviously, teams aren't going to target KD, but... Between him and Harden, Kyrie got targeted the most on the stretch, and that's what we're going to see in the playoffs too. So like you said, Brandon, if they could figure out a way to lock in defensively and hold some teams better than the worst team in the entire league, then they have a chance. But if they can't do that, then they do not have a chance. There's no way a team this bad defensively can win a championship. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, Kyrie is is looking like the X factor when Kyrie is playing really well, especially in crunch time. It's going to be hard for them to get stopped on offense. And that's what he did last night, or not last night, that's what he did against the Clippers. 
So Kyrie is kind of that fourth quarter X factor, and they they have to make that quick quick decision on okay, is he hidden? Is he not hidden? Because if he's hidden, then give him the ball. And if he's not hidden, you know, let James Harden and KD take over. But they do have to step it up. I mean, the bottom three right now in terms of scoring defense, just giving up way too many points. And that really does come down to tempo. I mean, there's no reason why you guys shouldn't control the Nets shouldn't control the tempo the whole game. They have the players to slow it down, to speed it up. It should be their pace that's getting set, whether it's according to the team they're facing, whether it's too fast or too slow. You know, obviously go faster with some more defensive teams like the like the Jazz, make Rudy Gobert run the floor, and go a little bit slower with some higher paced teams like the Hawks. You Suns, know, don't Hawks. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to go into a shootout Mavs with the either. Hawks, and that's what they did, and that's why that game went to overtime. And you know, thankfully for them, they're winning most of those close games minus that huge mishap by Joe Harris on that Wizards game and missing free throws, and then Colin Sexton just demolishing them single-handedly in two OTs. But besides that, I mean, they've won the close games, and they just gotta get, they gotta control the pace better and realize they're smarter. They're a smarter group of players than most other group of players, you know, than other teams. Because they're all savvy veterans. They've all been in pl- with playoff experience. I mean, you got two rings. You got multiple rings. I mean, Jeff Green's won a ring. Uh, Kyrie's obviously won a ring. KD's obviously won a ring. So that's what they have to do. And it really does come down to, I, I know we were pretty high on, on Bruce Brown's defensive ability. He's really got to develop into becoming a def- defender for them that can play in the close games, play on those offense-defense swaps with the with Joe Harris necessarily because I know Joe Harris was given was guarding Bradley Beal in that Wizards game and right off the bat I was like that's a mismatch even if the Nets don't want to admit that that's a mismatch but I mean overall I think we should it's not necessarily looking too much into that Wizards game I know it was a crazy finish it was almost a warrior blowing 3-1 lead level not quite but it's what it felt like when we were watching that game but Take everything with a grain of salt. It's a learning experience. Take the highs as highs. Take the lows as, you know, lukewarm lows. And just learn from it. Just learn from it. But realistically, I think something else from the Wizards game, while while we're on that, is where do the Wizards go? They kind of, like, screwed themselves over into a weird limbo with Russ just kind of coming on a tear and... Bradley Beal feeling like he just won the the Super Bowl. Shout out Super Bowl weekend. Feeling like he won the Super Bowl by beating the Nets on uh, the first half of the year while having one of the worst records in the league. Because, I mean, I know I'm hearing reports that Bradley Beal, or ownership thinks Bradley Beal's content and he wants to stay there. And while Bradley Beal said that the sky is blue in regards to his frustration with the Wizards, it seems like he's not. He doesn't want to trade, and uh, there's also been the rumor that they're tra- they're thinking about they're trying to actively pursue Masai Ujiri, who's obviously one of the most coveted GMs in the league. So, Joe, I'm gonna give it to you. Is this fake confidence that Bradley Beal's given the Wizards, or is he in it for the long run? I think you both said this off pot off mic, but. I think no matter what, he has to show a poker face and say, I'm in it for the long haul. These are my guys. I love this team. I don't even know what's bad basketball. This is the best time of my life. But 
in reality, he's fucking crying inside and he wants to leave ASAP. So I don't think he wants to spark any like immediate trades, but I know there's no way he thinks that this is the best use of his talents and the best use of his NBA career. I mean, like he could go down in history as someone who averaged 35, 30 plus points and never made it past like the conference finals. Like that'd be crazy. Like it, he has to know this is not where he should be. So I think he's just playing it tough, but I don't think he actually feels like he loves it there. What do you say, Brandon? No, I mean, his body language the last few games have clearly shown that he's a guy that does not want to be there. He's just trying, he, yeah, he's just saying what he needs to say. He's seen how Harden got the reaction that he got, and now he's just taking the, the other path that you could take and just being, you know, I'm going to come to work every day, do my thing. Ownership is just raising his value. If you say, oh, this guy wants out, you have no leverage at that point. So if you're saying, oh, that my guy wants to stay, you're really going to have to, you know, give me a good offer I can't refuse for if you want him. Like, that. that's just all just, like, they're just trying to raise his value. They're trying to make sure that, I mean, just like J- Joe said, there's no way Bradley Beal could realize, like, think that this is where he wants to spend the rest of his prime career. Like, he said that in the past, in the couple last couple years, he wanted to build a winning team, a winning franchise, and like you know, Russ playing well the last couple, like game, but like, it just there's no way this is the team that Beal is gonna want to hitch his wagon to and ride into the sunset for the rest of his career. Like he's gonna want to like it, it would make sense any good basketball player would want to go somewhere else more competitive. Yeah, but is he almost like too much into that Dame thing or that loyalty thing? Hell, even Kobe, where but they've been kind of winning. Where like the Wizards haven't been winning the last couple of years, and like Beal's body language has shown, I think that like. But that's kind of how he's always been. He he's always been kind of like you like kind of nonchalant. Doesn't really like sure his play when he's playing playing like he always turns it up. And even this year, he still turns it up. He's the leading scorer, but his body language off the court or like in timeouts has always been kind of like laid back. He's always he never has been the most expressionate guy. So that's why it's such a hard read for me. Yeah, I would say I only see him get emotional in big moments. And if I'm going to take anything away from it, I think it is, it's just a good sign because if he was like, if he really was content and he really was like, I don't even give a shit. I'm getting my points. Like I'm having a good time. Like that would kind of be concerning for me. Like if I was a GM or something, like not like it really matters. If he's putting up these numbers, he's putting up these numbers. But like if someone is mad about it, then I think that they care. And I think that if you get them on the right team, they're going to play even harder, you know? So like, I just think he he can't keep it inside him. He's too great of a player to hide it. So, like, these outbursts on the bench are just him cracking a little bit of the facade of him saying, like, he's cool, he likes it, but he definitely does not. Yeah, it's just – it's a rough team to build around just because he has to be essentially the only defensive stopper because no one else is stopping anyone on defense. And to take on all that burden defensively and then still be – the go-to offensive weapon that's that's got to be a Let's, tough look i mean can anybody even name the second best defender on this team it was thomas bryant yeah but, but thomas bryant wasn't even good yeah. but he, he wasn't even good i mean, I mean it, i'm not saying he was good i'm just saying he was probably the second best defender yeah maybe I mean, Rui. yeah maybe that just Rui. speaks to my point and Rui's like a second year guy so there's no way he's like the best possible defender on another team like that's it's it's pretty laughable like you kind of really have to question Tommy Shepard. I know he inherited a pretty shitty team from Grunfeld, who is one of the worst GMs in NBA history as well. So it's it's not the easiest job, but, man, he has not done anything to help Bradley Beal. And this trade with 
Russell Westbrook for John Wall, where they gave up a draft pick, is really looking like a fucking stinker. So I, I don't know, man. Not to pile on the dude, but he's, <laughs> kick he's made he's down, some man. questionable Damn. choices. I mean, he just he's made some questionable choices, man. That's all I can say. I mean, this team is nowhere close to contending, and he has Bradley Beal in his prime. Like, it's it sucks. It sucks for Brad for sure. Yeah, I wonder how much they're kicking themselves over picking uh, Denny Advia over like Vassal or Tyrese Halliburton. You know, yeah. like because I feel like Tyrese. Guys would have. Yeah, Tyrese. Had, well, I guess it would have been like both shooting guards, so the fit might have not necessarily been there. But damn, Halliburton could have played though. Yeah. Halliburton definitely could have started with him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they they definitely whiffed. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's just like, sure, it was it was a guy that dropped in Denny, and you're glad he was there. But damn, like, how many more of those guys do you do you need? Where it's like they're they just shoot, you know, they're just offensive playmakers that aren't going to play defense that aren't stereotypical defensive stoppers. The eight year time difference between Avdija and Beal is like, you question that because there's no way by the time Avdija is good, Brad Beal is still going to be like wanting to wait, you know, like three years for this kid to get there. So it just wasn't wasn't the right draft choice all around, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be rough. I really hope he doesn't play into the fact that Russ is uh, is back or anything like that. Or I mean, even Masai Ujiri, I mean, he's going to – if he, you know, for whatever reason those rumors end up becoming true and, and they bring him in, he's going to have some work cut out for him. He's going to probably end up just doing a fire sale with everyone besides Bradley Beal if Bradley Beal sticks around. And probably literally just keep Thomas Bryant, Bradley Beal, and, you know, Danny Avija. Because there's no one else that's really... Or, I mean, Ri Hashimura is not is not bad. I actually do like his game. And it almost seemed like... Because when he came... I don't know, man. When he came back, he, he did make he a difference. Like, he made a difference. He's, not, he's a tweener. He's he, okay, but, like, he's a tweener. He can't really shoot enough to really play the four, but he's not big enough or like strong enough to play the five like he's I feel like he, he's almost he's got a little Jabari Parker in him where he's gonna have to develop a, more of a shot I think yeah he looks like he has a better body than Jabari Parker though so I'll give him that where like he could maybe I mean he's probably better defensively at he least. knows yeah. how to use his he body a little bit better he's got quicker feet defensive end. I mean I you know I'm like so critical of Jabari Parker's feet that, that dude could not move his, he was stuck in molasses 99 percent of the time Whereas, you know... Except for when he was on offense for some reason. Yeah. But no, Ru- Rui's... I feel like I agree with you. Rui does have good athleticism. Yeah, so I think the upside is there for him, so I would probably keep him around. I mean, he, he's, he is like a lottery pick from last year. So, but I, you have to do the fire sale if or else what's the point? Or you got to flip Bradley Beal. It's another one of those scenarios. And it's not like there aren't going to be takers that are willing to offer a lot, especially with what the Nets have done, especially with how good the Lakers are looking. Um, it's, it, it will see when it materializes when we get a little bit sooner into the trade deadline. Obviously it's a lot of wishy-washy. I mean, hell, you know, obviously as a, as a Chicago fan, I would love to do a straight up, you know, Beal for Levine and Laurie. And that would make my heart so warm right there. <laughs> I I would like it for sure as a Bulls fan. I just think the Wizards would be selling low. They need more than that. Beal's too good of a player. Yeah, we'd have to. They didn't. They they definitely want a couple first round picks, especially with the precedent that Harden did. They're they're going to be asking for some first round picks. Yeah, 
But, I mean, we're, we're going to continue with some key takeaways. I mean, probably the most fun games we were able to watch were the Mavs games. And that Mavs-Suns game was a banger. Let's just leave it at that. We're going to keep it with the trend of focusing on the team that lost and seeing if it's panic time or not. But Luka's looking frustrated. Joe, I know... You are a Luka truther. Is it panic time for the Mavs? I mean, do you feel like this new team that's around him that kind of fit the defensive mold around him? Do you feel like it's it's not enough? It's not fitting into the mold that they anticipated coming into the season? Yeah, it's really unfortunate. They made that – the biggest trade they made or the biggest move they made this offseason was Seth Curry for Josh Richardson. And the thinking was they were lacking on perimeter defense. Luka needed someone that could – guard the best wing or point guard on the other team. And Josh Richardson fit that description. But the problem is Josh Richardson is having his worst offensive season of his career through 12 games. He's got career lows in points, rebounds, and assists. He's only averaging 12 points, three boards, and two assists. And it's just like they did not bring him in to become worse than he was in Philly. He was already a distressed asset in Philly. So it's just like it just hasn't worked out. And if that's your biggest move and it doesn't work out, the rest of the team, like the their other shooters are Dorian Finney-Smith, who's always been average right now. He's shooting 33%. Justin Jackson, who's not even in the rotation. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. has been really good at his three-point shooting. He's definitely been the only guy that Lucas had that he could count on to score on the offensive side. But all he really does is shoot. He's not really someone that'll go to the basket and open up the paint for Luka to make his drive. So it, it just turns into a very congested offensive team that could really use some outside shooting and, ironically enough, someone like Seth Curry. So I don't know that that was the best move that they could have made. What do you say, Brandon? Yeah, that's definitely a big part of it. I mean, Luka is – I mean, he's that James Harden mold where he's just going to just attack the basket and then, you know, if the, defend, if the defender collapses on him, he's able to kick it. But – you just look at this team, and Josh Richardson is shooting 28% from three. Kristaps is shooting 30% from three. Yeah. Like, Luka has nowhere to go with the ball. Like, And Kristaps is a guy where you were hoping to be that, you know, high 30 percentage three-point shooter. But, like, he just ha- he's been a very solid player for them. He just hasn't been the superstar that you thought you were pairing Luka with. So, I mean, I- and he just gets hurt all the time you know like he just can't stay on the court so like that trade itself too like go looking back on it not like they really gave up much when you look at it but they're just they haven't really got much from kp and yeah like seth curry while probably not being as versatile of a defender as josh, josh richardson i think offensively would have really helped out luca and really like just opened up the paint for luca too and like yeah i don't know where, where this team goes from here though they had they were it seemed like they were looking for Giannis in this offseason and now Giannis is signed, so maybe Oladipo or someone. I don't know if they just hold off for another year. Or maybe they do try to make it a run at Beal. I don't know if they have the assets or if they just go all in with draft picks, but yeah, Luca's young, so it's not like they're in a, any rush, but I'm sure they would like to win more games, you know, sooner than later. Yeah. See, the biggest thing coming into the season for me was I was almost scared that they might have gone two in on that defensive presence and their offense might have not been able to just keep up with it, even with the big three of um, Josh Richardson, Porzingis, and Luka. And that's pretty much what's been happening this season so far. I mean, they're bottom 10 
in total offense. I think they're like 20th. And they're bottom 15 in total defense. I think they're like 17th. So their defense is slightly better in terms of when it comes in comparison to other teams than their offense. But that's such a big drop-off for a team that was top five in offense last year to just go go into the bottom 10. I'm pretty sure they had the, the best offensive offense. rating of all time last year. Yeah. Like literally of all time. So, so coming from the best going to the 20th, like that's such a big drop-off. And that was the one of the biggest things that I was worried about coming into the season. Did they overcompensate too much on that defensive presence and then lost it? And for me, I'm not too worried about it just yet because the big three are the ones that are really struggling, especially shooting from the three. Um, I mean, they're all shooting like right around like 30%, which is – not very good. Whereas you got you got Luca shooting twenty nine percent, you got Porzingis shooting thirty percent, and then obviously Richardson's shooting twenty eight percent. But then you do have the role players that are shooting pretty well from the three, and it just we'll see if that continues over the season. Because if that continues over the season, the big three is going to end up shooting at a better clip, because you got Jalen Brunson shooting almost uh, shooting thirty nine percent, Trey Burke shooting forty percent, you got. Maxi Keeler shooting 45 and attempting three and a half, you know, a game, which is not bad. So if they, if they, if the role players continue and Finney Smith is shooting 32%, which is not ideal, but I mean, you don't really necessarily assume that Finney Smith is going to be shooting over 30%, but he is shooting too many where he's shooting almost five threes a game. So they're just almost relying too much on the three to kick it out off of Luca driving and dishing and they need to maybe slow it down get better offensive movement i want to say use porzingis more in the post but that's obviously wishful thinking because that's what everyone wants from porzingis and we're just slowly realizing that he's just not that good in the post even though you would assume he is and even though they've been spoiled with one of the best post european big men in dirk so I'm a little bit more optimistic in in their outlook because this is kind of like they're at bottom, being a my uh, bottom ten offense, shooting terribly with their core three, but it's just it's not looking good if if this keeps up. The concerns for me really are just that is Porzingis gonna get better is w- what I would say. Like he's he's obviously as bad as he's ever been in his career. So like I'm not saying he's done as a player. I'm just saying. It's concerning that he still has no post game, like you're saying. Like he's a seven foot, like two guy. You would think he would have at least a fadeaway or some type of drop step, and we've just never seen it. And also, it's just like he's he's just not really as gung ho as it used to be at going to the rim. Like he used to sprint to the rim and get a lot of dunks when he was with New York. Since he's come back from injuries to Dallas, I just feel like I don't see as much rim runs from KP as we used to see. His defense is still there, so that's encouraging, but. He needs to add more of his rim running back into his game because if he's just a shooter, he's way more predictable and he's really not the superstar that would ideally match Luka because ideally Luka would have someone that could surround the defense, make the defense want to surround him when he goes to the rim. So that's concerning. And also just Luka's general demeanor and body language is not something that like other guys are going to want to play with. I mean, Zach Lowe reported today that he's like one of the most whiny players he's ever seen and it's just like... If you're, if you want to be the best, like you kind of got to act like you've been there and to complain to the refs 24 seven, it's just, it's not a good look. So like, 
uh, those two things, and that's from losing too. If he wasn't losing, I don't think that would be happening as much. So those are two things I'm. Well, that's sure. that energy that he he brought into that league into the league is like he sure he had the high energy where when everything was going good, he's jumping around, messing around on the bench. But then obviously you're gonna have the lows, and that energy comes out on the lows too. And it and unfortunately it ends up becoming whiny. And then also, I mean, it might be that precedent of watching LeBron. He he's slowly become a little bit more whiny as he's become older. Which makes more sense because he's trying to protect himself from injury, and you know he he understands that he can't play such a harsh game. I just think it's different because like it seems like Luca is more like he just gets frustrated. He, like LeBron is gonna complain to the refs all the time, just like CP3, but but they're but they're just complaining because they just they just want the call. Like it, you know, like Luca legitimately gets frustrated, and it's also it's always down when they're down like 15 points and like a bad thing happens, and it's like. No, like you got to keep it together, like uh, like Joe said. Like you got to act like you've been here. Like you're leading. Everyone's looking to you on this team. You got to lead by example. You just saying, just freaking out over everything ba- that bad happens. Like a- every kind of adversity, you're just freaking out. Like like what's the rest of the team gonna like do? Like they're gonna uh, like absorb that energy. Yeah, they're gonna get frustrated. So Luca as being the best guy has to be more composed. He has to be more composed. So that's why like like unless Carlisle's the one that's gonna be able to get everyone motivated but like Luca has to be the guy that's like you know like he has to be a leader and says hey we're not this it's not the end of the world like we could do this you know yeah some of the quotes he gets frustrated too easily some of his postgram quotes were like very emo and on some level it's like the kid's 20 years old he's 21 years old or 22 yeah he's he's barely like not even a teenager yeah Yeah, so it's like I get it barely started drinking out here yeah he's he's going through some shit obviously (laughs) maybe he's having a tough week with this girl who the fuck knows but like He's got to know, like like Brandon said, if you're the captain of the ship and you're like, oh, my God, we're all going to die. Like, that shit's not going to work. <laughs> Nobody's going to want to follow you. So, like, if you keep it together and just be like, this is a bad game, we're going to be better, guys are going to look to you more. And he, he's going to learn that as he goes. But just to start out the year, it was just it's more than we've seen in the last two is what I would say. Yeah, and that honestly, that's something that could be a fallout of Seth, Seth Curry leaving. I mean, Seth Curry is clearly a professional, comes from a basketball family. He understands, like, the business mm-hmm. of basketball. He understands the chemistry, and that's a legit thing. And high IQ. High IQ. And now you're losing that and replacing it with Josh Richardson, who Josh Richardson is a great player, great guy, but not necessarily someone that's an association guy. And now you're putting it all on Luca, a 21-year-old, to take control of a team. And it's that's the season. There's highs, there's lows, and it's on to the next one. If if the Clippers, you know, Kawhi and Paul George are whining after losing to the Nets, that's just going to bring the whole team down. That That's just not what a leader does. And so we obviously talk about a lot of trades, but this is one of those where, like, it's pretty easy. Just trade for a, a savvy veteran. Hell, even sign a veteran that's, like, you know, that might be on the block. And Kyle Lowry. Yeah, it, uh, Kyle Lowry might actually be a good fit for them, but the thing is, who would you give up for Kyle Lowry? And it's an expiring contract. But Kyle Lowry would be a perfect guy where, like, he could back it up on the court. And Kyle Lowry takes no shit from anyone. You know, that's one thing that's been guaranteed. Him and Luka would be a pretty damn fun point guard shooting guard combo, too. So, yeah, that I love that trade. If that were to happen, I would definitely be in on that. Yeah. It, and he plays defense. He's not going to need the ball in his hands every possession. Like, he'll do the dirty work. And then he could hit a shot, like, if you need him to. Josh Richardson in a draft pick for Kyle Lowry. Boom. Call it in. <laughs> Man, do they even need the draft pick, though? Because it's an expiring contract. It's a risk for sure. I feel like they might even be able to flip it straight up. 
Or play Josh Richardson at a small ball three. And Porzingis has the, to roll. The money but expiring is almost an asset, though. Yeah, because then it's off your books. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I guess. But it's just like, I mean, yeah, I guess with Josh Richardson, too, you're, it's a younger player than Kyle Lowry and more potential. Yeah, I would get. I would part with Richardson to get a, like a half year rental of Lowry, and then like just for getting Richardson's contract off the books basically and starting fresh with cap space. Because I mean, are you really going moving forward with them? I don't know. You know. Yeah. I mean, the early signs are not encouraging. So it, it's tough because this this is just a weird ass season too. So like we we should say all these takes are a grain of salt, you know. But yeah, yeah. right now they yeah. just. They haven't clicked. But, I mean, we haven't really talked about Kyle Lowry, and nobody's really talking about Kyle Lowry because I feel like that's almost a trade that should happen with the Raptors. Not playing up to par. Fan Fleet, I mean, obviously going off with the most points for an undrafted player. And 11 for 14 from three. Yeah. Rockford zone. Repping Illinois. Yeah. Let's go. Shouts out. Yeah, I just remember watching him at Wichita State and always thinking, like, damn, dude, this man looks like there's no way he should be on the court. And he would kill fucking ISU and every, like, mid-major college team they played. So, like, to see him do it on the professional level is very cool. He's definitely one of the funnest guys to root for. Dude, he, yeah, that's one of those times where why is it, why did that guy go undrafted? He killed it at the tourney. He ki- I mean, I guess because it's a, a smaller school. I mean, he's, but, like, 5'9", isn't he? Yeah, he's not 6 feet. He's, no, he's, he's definitely not 6 feet, but... But either way, I mean, he's got the stroke. I mean, that was kind of a weird body. It was a weird limbo in the in the NBA where he was slowly transitioning to three point shooting, and he wasn't in it quite yet. Because in in nowadays, just with that stroke, I mean, he would have been easily a second round pick, easily a flyer, you know. But yeah, I mean, shout out Van Fleet breaking that record. But yeah, realistically, that makes it more clear cut that Kyle Lowry needs to be moved, especially with an expiring contract. Get some assets. You got Van Vliet, you got you got Siakam. You know, Boucher is declining, but you could at least see serviceable enough. Um, so that's that's an interesting guy. Hopefully we'll see. There's gonna be some players. Obviously, we talked about the Clippers, possibly they could use him. He would make he would make some big buckets for them. The Mavs could definitely use him. He would make some great leadership leadership. He's just one of those guys, been around forever, won cha- won a championship, plays good defense, makes big shots. I mean, yeah, he's probably one of the besides Bradley Beal, he's probably number two, and obviously he's not getting any any traction. I mean, personally, I haven't seen any any trade rumors about Kyle Lowry. Uh, they keep it pretty buttoned up, so I feel like even if there were some, we wouldn't even know. That's how Masai Ujiri works. So I think it's just gonna happen if it happens. Yeah, we'll see. It, it'll just we're just gonna wake up one day and we're gonna get a Woj bomb or Sham's gonna beat him to the punch. Straight up. Yeah, I mean, talking about trades and hot teams, hot trends. Who would have thought that the Rockets would transition into having the best defense in the league? And I'm just going to throw it out there, that Depot effect. That's the thing that made the difference for me in flipping Karis LeVert for Oladipo is that identity, and they fully embraced it, have the best defense since the trade. They're number two in overall defense on the year, and that's in spite of you know James Harden barely trying. And they look like a team – that can make some noise. I mean, do you guys think? But do you guys think that's legit or just a small trend, Brandon? I'm looking at you. Um, it's probably a little bit of a trend, but I mean, I doubt they'll go undefeated the rest of the year, if that's what you're asking. But I mean, like, are we talking finals? Are we talking upsetting the Lakers in the first round? <laughs> 
Are, is this the start of a dynasty here? Yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> Who's to say? But I mean, Oladipo after his after one the uh, recent game, the they he had an interview and they asked him like, and he just he said that like, yeah, everyone on this team you know has a chip on their shoulder, and when you look on their their team, it's like a whole collection of you know misfits kind of, and it's like oh like Oladipo said that like hey like. I feel like everybody's everywhere I go, they just quit on me. Everyone keeps quitting on me, and you would think like Oladipo's a great player, but like yeah, like he's on his fourth team in however many years he's played. Like he probably does feel a little salty over his career path, along with John Wall, who's coming off of injury injury and just got traded away from the Wizards. You know, Christian Wood, who was undrafted and just signed, you know, a solid contract, but it's clearly outplaying that contract. Boogie Cousins. Like, it is a collection of players that have something to prove, basically. And I think, you know, like... David Nwaba. Yeah, David Nwaba. (laughs) He's been really good, dude. Yes. I mean, him and, like, Daniel House, like, they have some scrappy players to fill in the gaps, too, on this team. So, I mean, like, I mean, P.J. Tucker's having a slightly down year, but, you know, he's playing hard. Like, everyone on this team is just going to play hard. They have something to prove. I don't, you know, they're I think they're a lock for the play-in tournament, at least. I think, you know, the report was that the Houston was going to reevaluate Oladipo's situation after 15 games, but now it's, you know, they're really going to have to look at this and say, like, what do we do? Do we trade Oladipo? and go for, you know, tank, or do we try to, you know, compete, get a playoff spot potentially? Do we max out Oladipo next year? Rockets are in a weird spot for sure. I think they're they going to be frisky the rest, of, the rest of the way, though. Yeah, I would say that previously when the trade first happened, I thought they were in a nomad's land where I was like, they're not bad, they're not good. I don't know how far they could go in the playoffs, but this team really does seem like they could – they're not going to win the championship, but they could definitely win a playoff series. So I, I definitely feel like it's there's nothing wrong with keeping a team like this together because you really engender the fans, and people are going to want to watch a team that plays like this because they have scores and they have really good defenders. And that what fan base wouldn't want to watch a team like yeah. that? So, yeah, they're, they're definitely a nice surprise so far. Yeah, and like you said, they're scrappy, man. All their guys are scrappy. They're all, like, you know, wings that can – if they really have to, they can guard down low. They can obviously they're quick enough and young enough to guard up top. You know, minus John Wall, but John Wall he still has it in him. Boogie is playing defensively. He's a defensive presence down there. Christian Wood, man, I was I think I was talking to Brandon the other day. This year's most improved candidates are top notch this year, man. Christian Wood, Brogdon, you know that's just like two off the top of my head. And Jalen Brown. Yeah, Jalen Brown, clearly. But we'll see, you know, if his numbers dip a little bit with with having a healthy Kemba and a healthy Jason Tatum. But man, like Christian Wood, I mean, I was pretty hyped going into into the season when he was a free agent. I wanted, you know, I thought he was one of the best free agents on the market. And I was clearly hyped on him, you know, saying that he possibly might be the best player that Harden's ever played with in terms of fit. But He's really showcasing everyone, and that chip on the shoulder, it's its a scrappy team with a chip on your shoulder. You love to see teams like that, and personally, I mean, not even a Rockets fan, never really been, but I'm excited to see them succeed. Yeah, no, they, they just have a great mixture, and someone like David Nwaba to come off the bench and be able to just guard your other team's best offensive player, like, a lot of teams don't have somebody like that. I really feel like the Bulls let them walk away for nothing. i I don't think he's on more than a minimum salary with the Rockets. And uh, you give credit to Raphael Stone because 
well, everybody thought when they traded Harden, like, how could they ever replace someone like that? They've done a pretty damn good job of at least making a fun and competitive team. Yeah, and honestly, like, all of their main players have positive value over replacement players' scores, which, I mean, that's that's saying a lot of just how hard they're trying and how much they bring to each team. Besides P.J. Tucker, P.J. Tucker's the only one that's not. And, I mean, P.J. Tucker's on the wrong side of 30 at, at this point. But they're all positive value over replacement. If you have just a team of that, you're clearly above – you can become an above-average team and – I mean, this play-in tournament's getting real spicy. That's for damn sure. Mm-hmm. So you guys like the play-in tournament? I, I'm all in, it. man. Yeah. Get the competition going. Let's get let's let the people let the let the kids fight. Let them scrap it out for a last playoff spot for a chance to lose to the Lakers in the first round. You know, it's gonna be fun. It has like a tournament feel too. You know, uh, like like the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, I just think like, it makes things more interesting for like the fifth and sixth seeds, you know, and like even the fourth seed where it's like you might have a rough end of the like season, but like, oh, we'll still, we still got, you know, that seventh or eighth seed. But if you're the sixth seed, you're really going to try to make sure like, hey, we're going to try to win games. We're not trying to fall into that playing tournament. So I, I think it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because whoever is the seventh or seed is not going <laughs> to really make a difference. But it is nice to get, you know, the ninth and tenth seed a chance to you know, potentially get some play time in the playoffs for, you know, younger teams and stuff. Yeah. Good experience. Especially with guys like Cat who are on a shitty team seemingly every year. Like, just to see him in some playoff action is is nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might be interesting because sooner or later they're going to have to see to find a way to combat tanking. And it's going to be interesting and maybe do a March Madness type and just do like, you know. No, I think they, I think they fixed it. I think they fixed it. I think seeing Zion go number one to the Pelicans, who was not the worst record, like and like you look at this year, who's who's actively tanking this year? Who's actively tanking? Yeah. Like you could say the Wolves and the Pistons are the worst teams, but I don't think anyone would even say they're tanking. Like I think both those teams are trying to win games. They just are not good. But like no team is like wants to lose games. Wolves, Wolves would be the closest. Yeah. Yeah. Wolves need a complete makeover. Same with the Pistons. It, those are like man. Shout out to those fan bases, dude. You guys are fucking heroes. But they're at least trying. You know, like every year I feel by now we have like five teams that are like yeah they're guaranteed to not even try the rest of the year. But it seems like every team is actually kind of competitive because you know that like there's no guarantee like you could get the 10th worst record and still you know get the number one pick so i think having them mess with the odds i think has really made a difference with tanking yeah yeah for sure Zion definitely switched it all up because at this point and honestly besides next year's draft it's, it's mostly a crapshoot in terms of who ends up being the top talent in drafts you know minus Cade cunningham coming up though Evan Mobley is looking pretty good. Jalen Suggs. Yeah, yeah, but I still think Kate's got it. <laughs> All right, boys. It's been a real one. That's another wrap. Seventh episode in the bag. And we're going to catch y'all on the next one. I forgot to plug it in the beginning, but I'm going to plug it right now. Follow us on Twitter, Ain't a Hobby. Follow us on the newly posted Instagram, Ain't a Hobby. But peace. Peace. Later.